I'm John C. Ronquillo. This is Discoursey. Hey everybody, this is John, and I'm being really silly. Sorry, I uh, got uh, a little note from someone who said they were really enjoying the podcast, but that I could jazz up the intros just a little bit, so that was a very um, goofy attempt at doing so. Everyone, uh, welcome to the third episode of Discoursey. I am so glad that you're here, and in the event you have yet to listen to the first two episodes with um, Stacey Leeds and Byron Milan, I would certainly encourage you to do that. They are fantastic. Um, so, I am sort of interrupting my regular interviews that I've been doing and transcribing and uh, turning into podcasts because I went to Standing Rock uh, last week. And it was a really interesting, unique, and eye-opening trip. Uh, I drove up there 10 hours to North Dakota to the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, um, which was a very long drive, <laughs> but uh, also um, gave me a lot of time to think about reasons I was going up there, reasons people were there, as this encampment that they have there is entering its sixth month of uh, existence. April 1st of this year is when they first started. And I figured, uh, given the timing of everything that's been going on, uh, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. And so I was able to connect with a couple of colleagues uh, here at the University of Colorado at Denver who were able to direct me to the Four Winds Indian Council uh, also located here in Denver, and packed my car to the gills and drove up um, to spend some time there, and I'm glad I did. It's given me beyond adequate insight into what it means to be an autonomous uh, American Indian community, uh, to see various groups, people, organizations, and tribes coming together uh, to stand united. And as a researcher, um, I did my best to keep my objectivity hat on, but um, at times that was hard because I'm very sympathetic to the plight of our Native people and the need to not continue uh, a marginalization of these people. So I wanted to get a better understanding uh, than what various media outlets were, were telling me um, or what various media outlets are not telling people. Um, not to dismiss anybody, but it seems very easy for the media to report on things that seem to be uh, of little substance, and this is a bit more substantial in my opinion. So I set out to go and uh, make this donation on behalf of people who had given these uh, provisions to the Four Winds Indian Council and uh, was met very warmly and openly and uh, very much enjoyed the trip. Um, it is an interesting and still growing community. Um, I mean, I, I can't say that it is accurately growing so much as I can say that it fluctuates. 
Um, but I basically went with a couple of numbers of individuals who I wanted to speak with. And as it happened, I ended up not speaking with any of them. Uh, for one reason or another, there were crossed wires that didn't um, help in connecting us. Uh, but that's okay because the people I did speak with were exceptionally insightful. And given the demographics of people I have been talking to, I noticed that I really wanted to focus on a younger demographic. Uh, there are definitely a lot of young people at the uh, Sacred Stone Camp, uh, also known as the Oseti Sakowin Camp, and I'm sure I said that incorrectly and I apologize. Um, and that led to a lot of questions in the sense that um, what would these people be doing if they weren't setting up camp at Standing Rock and uh, standing in solidarity, as so many people have been saying. And so um, <clears throat> I did my best to just talk to people, to converse and see who would be willing to talk with me. Uh, some people didn't want to talk. Some people asked that I didn't use their last name. Some people were happy to talk but didn't want to be recorded. Um, and overall, it was just a really great experience, and I feel that I have a better understanding um, than I did previously, especially in that geographic area. A lot of people have been asking uh, whether or not the pipeline actually this is the Dakota Access Pipeline we're talking about. The whole reason there's an encampment there is to halt its construction so that it doesn't cross um, <coughs> excuse me, into uh, so it doesn't cross the Missouri River. Um, as you may or may not know, but surely you do at some point, uh, having caught a glimpse of uh, media coverage, it is to carry oil across four states and um, it is not uh, on the Standing Rock Indian Reservation, but it does encroach on their number one water resource, uh, the Missouri River, and a water resource that goes well beyond that tribal community. Um, it's a big river. <laughs> uh, growing up in Arizona, you know, you see the Colorado, uh, Little Colorado, uh, the Salt River, when there's actually water in it, and, uh, and those really aren't full-fledged rivers. Um, I mean, they are, but uh, we're talking wide, wide rivers here. And so for six months now, uh, this encampment uh, near the Cannonball and Missouri Rivers has grown, and while it is easy to call it a protest, the individuals who are there are actually... Um, asking that they not be called protesters, but rather that they be called protectors. So this episode is part one of two on the young Standing Rock protectors. I talked to a lot of individuals, um, all with unique stories, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you meet some of them. Um, as I was wandering through the camp, I really didn't know where to start, um, and it was a very rainy, windy, and dark uh, day. 
um, which was good for me as a researcher because it seemed that there were people who were accessible. Um, but I, I didn't see any actual movement in terms of protest. And again, I apologize for using the word protest, but for the sake of the episode and the sake of discourse, um, that word's going to come out once in a while. Um, but, but please know that I intend all, all respect to the people who were there acting as protectors. So two of the first people I spoke with, uh, two young women from San Jose, California, Liz Gonzalez and uh, Bianca Franco, who had just arrived, like I did, and were trying to find out a little bit more. So I uh, would like you to meet these two. Uh, the first voice that you hear will be that of Liz, and the second one is Bianca. Okay, so you guys just got here from San Jose, you said? Yes, San Jose, California. Yeah. And are you affiliated with any group, or you just want to be part of what's going on? Not part of any group, but part of humanity and knowing that this isn't a native thing. And some people say, like, oh, are you native? Maybe not necessarily, but I am native to this planet, to this land. And I know that this here isn't just about water. It's also about, like, finding cleaner energy uh, systems and to quit digging and using resources that Mother Earth has given us. So just to be able to come out here and support for um, all the the stuff that's going on and it's more than just the water and so not part of a group per se but definitely part of the movement just want to be here to support yeah to encourage them i i had came across this video this lady talking about how at times she just gets discouraged and um just seeing all the amount of support of people just constantly coming through and i think i've been in situations like that where you know you just feel like oh you want something done but you just get discouraged by the you're not, you know, you're not getting enough support. So I think just being out here, just supporting and letting them know that we're with them and that this is important to us. Not just, it's not just against something that's being done against them, but that we're all standing with them and that there's people everywhere around the world supporting them. Yeah. So what do you two hope to accomplish in the time that you're here? I give some support and encouragement, and I won't be surprised if I come back again. So meeting with some elders and figuring out what needs to happen and how we can support them in a better way, um, whether if it supplies or financially or in what ways and what kind of prayers that are going to be needed and just come back. And we're here, just us two, but we come with a group of people behind us and supporting us. Donations came from many different organizations, so people who are willing to help. So just getting some more information to go back home and share with them and then maybe come back. Mm -hmm. What surprised you so far since being in camp? The peace. You know, like, I I think that people will see what they see on social media and they think, like, this is this huge protest and you're you're just seeing what's being posted, but it's just, this is normal people just, I don't know, just being supportive, being peaceful, um, building a community. Mm -hmm. What's, What's one thing that you would tell anybody who isn't aware of what's going on with uh, protector camps and uh, what's something they should know? This affects us all. This isn't just a a local thing that's going on. Uh, I heard a story about a father who was here with his family and he took his daughter out of school and someone asked him if he thought it was smart enough for him to take his daughter out of school and he said, well, if there's no water, there will be no school. So to understand that uh, water is life and not just about these sacred sites, but also for people to awaken to cleaner energy sources 
um, and not needing to pull and pull out from Mother Earth, but using some resources that we already have available that would not interfere with the, with the lands. So that, again, was Liz Gonzalez and Bianca Franco, who had come to Sacred Stone Camp from San Jose, California. Um, that last point that Liz mentioned in terms of the kids being at the camp, uh, one of the things that I actually really liked was seeing the number of children that were playing there. Uh, in a couple of cases, uh, there were kids who were playing hide-and-go-seek uh, around one of the teepees that was set up. There were kids playing basketball. There were kids playing lacrosse uh, in a field with some adults. And to corroborate um, Bianca's observation that there was peace, that, that was the case. That was very much was the case uh, in the, the brief amount of time that I was there. Uh, really just a, a solid full day and a half or so of observing and trying to talk with people. And... There were plenty of people who were present in the center camp where there was a volunteer tent, where the kitchen was, where the orientations were conducted. And um, there really was a a very strong, solid sense of community there. I saw some infographic, which uh, is probably a misnomer because I don't know that there's any statistical evidence behind it, but that the camp at the Sacred Stone Camp is now (laughs) the 18th largest town in North Dakota. Um, If you do get a chance to go to the website, uh, as I invited you to do in a brief little audio blurb last week, uh, discoursey.org, I do have uh, just over 40 some odd pictures um, that I took, and I would certainly encourage you to Get a visual yourself to see uh, the size of the camp and just where they are logistically. Um, So I spoke with some other individuals who are still also trying to uh, understand um, the significance of of the camp and of the movement to be a protector. And it was all really sort of surreal um, in certain aspects. Um, before I headed over to the camp, I drove up through Mandan and Bismarck, uh, the state capital of North Dakota, uh, to see if there were any signs of any demonstrations of any sort. Uh, I had read in the paper, uh, the Bismarck Tribune, that uh, one of the demonstrators who had been jailed was actually, um, had attracted 300 plus supporters at, uh, the county, um, jail in Mandan, uh, but no sign of anything there. Um, and I decided to kind of cruise past the state capitol in Bismarck, um, because Governor Jack Dalrymple had previously deployed the National Guard, and, uh, as I had mentioned in the, uh, video blog, or mini-documentary I posted last week, I wanted to see if they had taken the demonstration to his doorstep, and again, I hadn't seen anything uh, at that point in time. Since then, of course, there has been activity. Um, There have been additional people who have since been arrested. Um, There have been instances of of clashes between 
military and or law enforcement or other government personnel and those who have been demonstrating. Some uh, unique signs of the demonstrations of the protectors have uh, been significant um, and symbolic. The planting of trees and other vegetation uh, in the way of uh, the pipeline. Um, and that's been interesting because around that area the vegetation is pretty lush. It's nice and green, big wide river, lots of farmland surrounding those points. And as you start to go south out of Mandan toward the camp, um, you will eventually be met by a barricade where I uh, saw both county sheriff's deputies and national guardsmen um, and one who, you know, stopped and said, are you aware of the activities that are going on down the road? And as I still had a car <laughs> packed to the gills, um, I said, yes, I am. And that's actually where I'm headed. Uh, everything in the car is, is for the encampment. And I said, okay, well, I guess you don't need to hear my spiel then. So just continue and, and please be observant. And as it happens, um, it does look like around the sites of the encampment, they have um, posted new signs, new speed limit signs, in order to urge uh, people to slow down. If you've never been to Indian country before, uh, in various reservations, um, it might be a stereotype to some, but it's... It's true and can also be significant and symbolic, but uh, our Indian brothers and sisters are walkers. They transport themselves regularly. So it's not uncommon for you to see a pedestrian sign on various reservations that, that are seemingly in the middle of nowhere. People do walk. And to illustrate, <laughs> As I was driving through South Dakota, uh, specifically through Mission, I came over a hill and uh, the speed limit dropped from 65 to 35 quickly. I did not slow down fast enough and was subsequently pulled over. Uh, the deputy was very kind. He asked where I was headed. He also noticed that uh, I looked a bit like a vagabond with all sorts of bags and boxes in my car and I told him where I was going. And I honestly think that he was easy on me because of that fact that I was going to Standing Rock. So, uh, officer, <laughs> wherever you are, thank you very much. I appreciate your kindness, and I will certainly slow down. But uh, that is a, a safety concern, I think, because there is even a smaller encampment in between the law enforcement post and the actual sacred stone camp that um, has been established on either side of the road um, is also a way to, to keep people nice and slow. Um, and that is something that I thought was unique. So people are taking their roles responsibly. They're taking them seriously. And uh, that was evident from the very beginning. Um, there is a security checkpoint as you enter. They'll talk to you to see if you're bringing any donations. And uh, they were kind, you know, they just told me, you know, there's where you take the donations. If you're going to interview people or take pictures, you need to check in at the media tent, which I did. Uh, got a, a press credential, which was kind of cool. Uh, as someone who's trained to be a journalist uh, in undergrad, but never actually worked, 
full-time as a journalist. For some reason, I kind of finally felt that I had arrived. Um, but everyone was very kind, very helpful. And, uh, yeah, I mean, were there occasions where I was taking pictures and a terse security guard would come up to me and say, Hey, you, hey, you, you supposed to be here? Do you have a permit? And I would just very kindly turn and say, as a matter of fact, I do. But I'm sympathetic to those people, too. How would you feel? How would you feel if this was going on? If you had given up what your day-to-day life had been so that you could protect thousands of people who had converged in basically middle of nowhere North Dakota on the banks of a couple of rivers to protect this natural resource. So there are a lot of different people there, different people from different backgrounds, Clearly not everyone uh, is of Native ancestry or is tribally enrolled. Lots and lots of allies. Lots of of people of different stripes um, that find some commonality there. One character that I talked to, and I call him a character because he had such uh, a fun outlook. And I I, I call him a character because he is, in fact, an actor uh, who lives and works in L.A., uh, but originally grew up in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Uh, his name is Courage. And uh, he does have Native background, Native ancestry. And uh, he had a very interesting contribution to the Sacred Stone camp. So, without further ado, I will let you meet Courage. With uh, Standing Rock. Um, let's see. Well, I always introduce myself when I'm in high spirits as like, I'm Courage, actor, activist, adventure. I'm a AAA threat to the sea. Courage, that's me. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. You bring and, a lot of positivity around, I can tell. Yes, I, I try my best. I, I try to use joy as a weapon, really, because I think joy is a powerful energy that can transform a space and transform hearts. Um, but anyways, as far as like what I do is, um, I'm an adventurer first. I always have been. I love really taking it, living it by the edge, uh, unpredictability, not knowing, waking up and not knowing who you're going to meet, where you're going to be next. Um, just thrill, thrill seeking, testing the limits of my mortality, you know, and just like really seeing how far one human being can go and where all he can go. And you can't really love life that much without wanting to protect the, the amazing things in it, the things that you find precious, the things that you find uh, essential to making the world as wondrous as it is, and of course that being diversity. Um, so I really am focused a lot on issues related to diversity and protecting diversity in all its forms and levels. Um, so that's where the activist thing comes in. And of course as an actor, you know, it's just like I'm such an adventurer where I feel like I have to be an adventurer in worlds beyond this one, too. And so I always dreamed about being in amazing worlds, you know, as an actor um, and wherever I can go. I've been a professional theater actor for about 16 years. So I went to Los Angeles to start uh, in screen acting, TV, film, that kind of thing. And it's been really great. I've I formed so many friendships and really have constructed an amazing network over there. There's a lot of great people in L.A. But of course, you know, coming to a place like this, it's incredibly different. But also it's very healing at the same time because L.A. is, you know, as even though it has all the opportunities you can dream of, it's still a very stifling place as far as your spirit and your, you know, spirituality is concerned. Coming here, I really feel like it's been the brush of fresh air that I've needed to, you know, just like that gasp of air, you know, from being underwater for so much. You can only be in L.A. for so long in a place like L.A. Coming here, you know, I've never seen a place with so much humanity. 
So anyways, uh, those are kind of all those three things and how they tied together. And of course, that, the part of me that really led me to come here. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Cool. Yeah. Tell me about T-Spirit Camp. Tell me about your, your impetus to, to bring um, something that has been very embedded in Native culture mm-hmm. for generations. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been embedded in, Two-Spirit has been embedded in, in our cultures for generations and not just that, but for thousands of years. Um, you know, if you're of the scientific mind, you know, it's like when it comes to to sexuality and gender and how it's fluid and how it's complex, you know, it's been around since the dawn of mankind. But speaking culturally is that over 135 tribes have been documented so far to have some form of two-spirit tradition. The uh, acknowledgement of more than one gender or that sexuality is fluid or more complex than we believe it is. And really the common thread through all of these tribes is the fact that um, that if someone, ha- if someone longs for company of the same gender or if they want to express qualities or characteristics of the opposite gender, or if they're so naturally able to take on roles of the opposite gender, that means they must have more than one spirit in them, a male and a female spirit. If a woman wants to be brave, be a warrior, if a man wants to be sensitive and kind and, and be you know, a teacher or, or a cook, um, that's really where a, lot of, where a lot of Native traditions come from. As far as like what, how that really translates into why I created this camp is that, like I said, there was no two-spirit kind of presence here before. And before, it's always served as the glue between the two dynamics, male and female. We've always provided that balance where we can, we can understand um, both sides. We can think like males and females. We can provide that balance to where um, we're, we're very versatile. We're able to kind of fill all the roles that can't quite be filled as well by just a male or just a female with that strong masculine or feminine energy. Um, But as far as the camp goes and stuff, like I said, I felt that this camp needed that balance. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I really also feel like it's symbolic because as Crazy Horse said, that one day on all the colors of man shall gather, the time of seven generations, you know, when the red nation will rise, when in a sick world that's full with separations and selfishness. And honestly, you know, what better to represent the colors of man than, you know, LGBT and two-spirit people who who embrace that that idea of, of multi-diversity and, and, and colors and just people coming in in many shapes and sizes and forms and backgrounds. And, and I, I think it's incredibly beautiful. And so I wanted to create a space to where not only is Two-Spirit that center, just as Native American culture is the center of this camp, but to where Two-Spirits could come in and, re, and remind themselves what it means to be Two-Spirit. What were our roles in our communities? What were our roles in ceremony? And how can we translate that to, um, to not only this community, but modern Native communities? What does it mean to be Two-Spirit today? That's cool. Yeah, I mean, so as I came in, I mean, the flags are really you know, inspirational, you know, that, that reflects the diversity of not only the Native nations from within our country, but I mean, you see other flags from, from other nations that is really impressive. That was it? the first thing I noticed, yeah. It's, yeah. In, it's just, it's, it's a little mind-blowing, really. Well, I, 282 tribes that I know of that are represented by these flags. Right. And of course, some non-tribes as well. Sure. Well, and I think it just speaks to what you said about the diversity, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very important. Um, and, and do you feel that, that you've been able to to make a, a contribution to the camp? I mean, especially as we go into the six month, you know, it's I spoke with someone who came here on April 2nd, that was day two. And she's been here more or less in one way or another ever since. Um, what's, what's the reaction been like? Has it been positive, negative, um, mixed? The reaction has been unbelievably positive. I have had 
uh, several dozen people, exhausting, exhausting numbers of people kind of come to me and say, wow, I did not know this was here. This is so great. You guys are here. I've been waiting for this. It's just, I've had some people where it's like, I can't tell you how much this means to me that this is here. And, and I've had people where it's like, you know, I have a member of my family or a friend, a dear friend of mine who is confused and she doesn't really know what her identity is she's trying to find herself and and they've come talk to us and we've had people where it's like yeah i saw this on facebook i saw this on twitter so i had to come here i'm so glad this is here now that there is a place that i know i can come to I, it's been really incredible where it's like it's like a giant huge beacon in the middle of the camp to where it's like this is kind of the this is like the the last component i guess if you could say that we needed really to this camp where uh, you know, the LGBT movement or, or sexuality or gender as a phenomenon has really been a defining thing of this century of our, of our metaculture. And so really, it, take, it should take a huge, it should have a huge role in this camp. And so it's really been incredibly positive. And uh, it's not, what I really would take from it is that there really has seemed to be a really big need for it. And it's possible that there was two-spirit camps before this, but nothing that really tried to say like really loudly, hey, we are here, we are right here. Do you see as you know clearly um there may have just been like little groups of friends and stuff like that so you know but for me you know i have a lot of background in marketing and stuff like that and so like i have a lot of experience in being seen and being heard so um and it's been really miraculous just you know just when you think that it's kind of dying down here comes a whole another group of people you know out of their out of their minivans with their oh, big yeah, giant yeah. tents yeah, <laughs> and, no, I saw that and so I yeah it was a, it's a huge surprise and so what i'm really hoping is that um this camp will continue to grow and especially after i'm not able to be here for much longer i have a lot of responsibilities back home including a parent and so i'm only be able to be here for a few more weeks but as far as contributing to this place um, I guess it's just starting that presence, but also I think with things like this is that you know you make differences in ways you don't quite realize. People who walk by and see that and just and get tearful or something, you know, that like you wouldn't see that, or someone where they look at it, you don't know what's going through their mind. It may be something where it's like, you know, it's like for them, it's like a sign. It's like something that speaks to them from the spirit that comes to them from the spirit, where it's like that sign is there for them or this camp is there for them where it's like we see the value in you too. Like I said, I, I really think when it comes down to it at this point is um, at this early in the game, since you know our camp is still in diapers, is that um, I think this camp, what it just does, is it gives people a lot of hope and a lot of feeling of affirmation like you are a part of this community too. And I think that's something that New American community, communities have always been amazing at that the modern world does not really understand is the idea of, of, of inclusion because nowadays you know we're 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 going into that era where we realize that diversity is not something threatening it's something amazing um but uh but really we've native communities have always known this where it's like if someone is born different or someone comes into the community that is different somehow that does not mean that there's not a role for them that they don't fit or that they are, are bad in some way. To be different means that you very likely will be able to fill a role that no one else can. And that is something that all natives um, traditionally in their communities and cultures have understood. And I think that's... Courage was uh, really delightful to talk to and someone who seemed to have a lot of energy and positive energy. And in the time that I was there, there were uh, four or five campers that had showed up uh, specifically looking for the Two-Spirit Camp. Uh, people who wanted to be supportive, but people who also wanted to find a place of uh, comfort and alliance, a place that they could be welcomed. 
and like everyone else who is there in camp, just be part of um, the movement and to stand in solidarity. It really was part of the beauty of it, I think, and uh, something that uh, will stick with me for quite some time, uh, quite a long time, actually. Um, the diverse array of people was really interesting, um, and there was something really unique just about the way everyone came together, uh, the kindness that people showed one to another, um, the salutations, the greetings, the hugs, and uh, that was really great. Um, as I continued, I continued to look for people who would be willing to talk to me for a bit, and one individual that I spoke with, uh, his name was Rudy Clark from the Hualapai tribe in Arizona, and uh, Rudy had a lot of really interesting things to say, and um, he is uh, someone who has great expectations in terms of uh, being a leader within his community, and uh, someone who I think will will do just that when his time comes. Uh, he traveled up with a uh, busload of people who I ran into uh, numerous times uh, with a lot of interesting and fun people. And uh, I really appreciated speaking with Rudy because awesome. he I mean, lent a lot of great awesome. insights. Yeah, good. in St. John's, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. It's Peach Springs, right by the Grand Canyon. Right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome, right on, cool. Um, and so you came up from Albuquerque? Yeah, uh, we bussed up here, uh, 23 people and uh, we're leaving with 25, so... <laughs> oh, okay. Are well, you here with, with these folks? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and um, let's see. Uh, if you're looking for future leaders, that's definitely me. Uh, my father just retired from council, and uh, I'm part of the, the line of hereditary. Uh, so right on. And, and um, so I'll be on my... Uh, I'll be working for my tribe soon. Yeah. So that's uh, the plan. Yeah. Plan. Okay. I get my law degree uh, in uh, clinical mm -hmm. law and uh, go work for the courts uh, and hopefully be a judge someday for us. Right and yeah, that's that's the long term goal. Yeah. What was your first impression of camp when you got here? Well, uh, my father asked me to come out here and uh, form alliances and, and friendships with uh, uh, Lakota Nation, and I feel I've done that. And uh, we're we're basically here to save the planet. Uh, this. The, the pipeline is uh, an absolute travesty to, to this nation, but uh, on a local level, but uh, on a national level, wow, going on in here? This, these waters feed are 90 plus million people, which is uh, very dangerous to have uh, crossings over the Missouri and Mississippi rivers, multiple crossings at that. Yeah. And uh, this is the first crossing, so it's, it's most important that it's stopped here. Um, the, as far as the atmosphere and uh, the, the camps here, it's uh, been absolutely beautiful. Uh, I, I haven't seen clean living like this in, in, in all my life. There's, you know, uh, a lot of, of great people who, who uh, come and pray and uh, ask for, uh, uh, for help from, from the Creator. Uh, and they, they honor the, the old ways, which is beautiful. And... Uh, at that, I, I feel as this has been the most spiritually waking journey in my entire life. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Abs I mean, getting chills. At, uh, we we visited the the cemetery at Wounded Knee, and uh, uh, we brought up uh, a prayer circle of drummers uh, who are amazing, and and they have uh, a, a beautiful drum uh, that 
it's quite sacred now. It's, it's performed a lot of pre- peace missions across the country, um, and uh, they brought it up here to, to pray to the ancestors, to ask forgiveness for, for what's been going on. And, yeah. and it, it, I think it's very important to, to honor the past. Not only that, if, if you want to look at a... At a uh, this building community and and creating unity across nations, and there's never been 280 native tribes in, in one area. There's never been a cause that's that's united uh, tens of thousands of people uh, like this before. This this is the biggest gathering of, of Native Americans since the the war times, and uh, it's 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 been absolutely beautiful. I, I appreciate every minute I've spent here. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any interaction or witnessed any interaction between government officials, law enforcement with any of the campers? Um, we had a real close flyby, I'd say a good 40 or 50 feet uh, when we were uh, praying up at the uh, the sacred sites where they had uh, tried to lay the pipeline. Mm. And we were just having uh, a, a prayer circle uh, with the drums and, and some elders, and they, they felt the need to to fly by us twice and so yeah it, it's it's been uh that was as a bit unsettling uh that uh like knowing that we aren't crossing on to to uh to bad territories the the uh, we're not crossing the front line and it was in total attitude of prayer doing ceremonies and, and making offerings and they could see that with their drones. I'm sure of it. But they took, they felt the need to to fly by us, yeah. real close, a couple times. Okay. Why do you think that this is such an impasse? Why can't we, for once, honor a treaty or honor the sovereignty of one of our? It, it's all economic reasonings. Uh, the Fort Laramie treaties gave most of South Dakota and, and parts of North Dakota to the Sioux nations, the, the Lakota nations. And they, uh, once gold was found in the Black Hills, uh, they felt the need to sell that off to, to miners. And any opportunity that benefited uh, white settlers or business interests of the United States has been uh, at the forefront. And uh, regardless of, of international law that they established with the United Nations, regardless of the, uh, the precedent set through Supreme Court cases that give the final say-so to the president and uh, two international treaties, regardless of situation, these people have been oppressed and stepped on over and over again. Do you have I'm any thoughts just given the discord they're gonna tell of the country as a whole? The, you know, we've got protests going on in Charlotte. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> movement has been huge. Yeah. There's been a lot of solidarity on, between man. them, tribal communities. Absolutely, so yeah. Like that, make, it makes it look like they went that to school. just reminds me of Crazy Horse's prediction uh, a long time ago. Crazy Horse had said, uh, the red nation will rise when the world is sick and all the colors come together. And it's that prophecy has come true. And we are rising up. And uh, it's on a spiritual level. But not only that, there's a lot of economic interests that tribes have. And they're putting their full force behind this as well. So uh, the... 
uh, in the white world, uh, I guess you could call it, <laughs> uh, uh, we've got a lot of, of, uh, of backing, uh, and uh, but that's not that's not the 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 end of it. The the backbone of this is absolutely a spiritual revolution. So that was Rudy Clark of the Hualapai tribe in Arizona again. Really appreciated his insights, uh, seemed very dedicated to um, not only um, being an active participant in the camps, but also someone who I found to be just very knowledgeable, uh, which is great, and I, I do think that he will be a great uh, leader in his community, uh, and hopefully beyond, um, when he is all set and good to go. I found it interesting that Rudy uh, and Courage, to my knowledge, hadn't met each other, but obviously the words of Crazy Horse prevailed among many people in the camp. Um, and You'll recall that they both brought him up and spoke of his uh, prophecy, if you will. And it was interesting to, to hear that, to hear um, not just those two, but other people uh, echo those sentiments. And uh, definitely... Um, a, a vision and a scene of unity in the camp, which was really inspiring. But I know that uh, inspiration is only one component of the entire reasoning for why they're there. I would hazard to guess that there would be individuals who would even say, you know, we're not here to be inspirational. We're here to block this pipeline. So... This uh, is going to round out the first part of uh, this little uh, two-part episode on the Young Standing Rock Protectors. Um, and in the second half, part two, uh, I sit down with several leaders of the International Indigenous Youth Council, all young people who many people would assume could be working, could be in school, uh, could be with their young families, but they are very much focused on the future and uh, taking a stand. Um, a serious group of young people, uh, but definitely a group who all had, you know, uh, to use the metaphor, their heads um, square on their shoulders and had vision and uh, had passion for what they were doing. Uh, so that will be uh, coming out in a couple of days, so please do look for that. Two episodes dropping this week. Um, I just want to um, apologize for any noise that was in the background. It's been very difficult to remove some of the noise, but especially in a very rainy uh, setting with a lot of wind and some thunder. I do apologize that that came through, and hopefully it didn't distract too much from the message of what Liz and Bianca and Courage and Rudy had to say. Rudy mentioned that in his caravan they had a sacred drum that they had performed some songs and some prayers with, and I had an opportunity to listen to those individuals um, perform for the camp, and I'm going to go ahead and let that song play us out of this part one, but again, please do keep a lookout for part two coming later this week.
John C. Ronquillo. This is Discoursey. 